The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast, and my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of this podcast. This podcast is episode number 212, and it's all about addiction. And today's episode is actually about someone who is doing her best and using her position to help fight addiction. You know, when someone is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses not only the physical aspect of addiction, but also the mental and spiritual aspects with an evidence-based, holistic, drug-free, proven, step-by-step program to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 1-866-231-5924. That's 866-231-5924. Now, we have a beautiful woman on the podcast today. She just happens to be Miss America 2020. Camille Schreier grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, before moving to Virginia to pursue her undergraduate career. In 2018, Camille graduated with honors from Virginia Tech. In June of 2019, Camille was named Miss Virginia after breaking from tradition to perform the catalytic decomposition of hydrogen peroxide as her onstage talent. I'm actually sorry that I never saw that. Her unique talent, performance, and focus on women has sparked a positive reaction of inclusivity for the program as a whole. In December nine, on December 19, 2019, Camille earned the job of Miss America 2020 after competing live on NBC from Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. A certified naloxone trainer in the city of Richmond, Schreier will use the Miss America national recognition to promote her own social impact initiative, Mind Your Meds, Drug Safety and Abuse Prevention from Pediatrics to Geriatrics. Without further ado, let's talk to the lovely and able and very competent Camille Schreier. Camille Schreier, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today. I know you are a busy lady, but I also know you have a passion for this area. So I really appreciate you sharing that passion with us. Of course. Thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast today because it is absolutely something that I'm really passionate about when I'm thinking about talking about substance use disorders, preventing them from happening in the first place, especially with kids. This is a space that I'm relatively new to, but something that I'm really excited to continue working on. I think that's awesome. Give us, Camille, give us a little bit of your background so that, you know, it becomes like more understandable with, I mean, your Miss America 2020, why this area? Give us some of your background. It's interesting because I don't have the traditional story when you think of someone who is an advocate for those in recovery and those who face substance use disorders in their life. I grew up with a mom that was a nurse and I was always very cognizant about the substances that I put in my body. And I'm talking about things like over-the-counter medications, 
Um, and anything that I was taking, I got sick a lot as a kid. And so my mom was oftentimes around me really being careful about what medicines I was taking together. And so I just kind of had an awareness of the fact that these substances that I put in my body could be dangerous if not used correctly. And I think that growing up, that gave me a really great foundation to understand the power of substances. And that's something that I talk about throughout what I do. And so now I'm a pharmacy student, which is interesting because I started to apply those same types of lessons that I learned as a kid into uh, learning how to become a pharmacist. But I never really fully understood the impact that medications, prescription, non-prescription, and then when we think of drugs as illicit substances, that those, the impact that those could have on people's health, their lives, the way that their brain worked. And I felt immediately that when I had this opportunity to become an advocate, really starting from the moment that I decided to compete in the Miss America organization, which kind of was the catalyst to develop this platform, I knew that this was what I had to talk about because I, as a doctor of pharmacy student with a mom that was a nurse, didn't fully understand the depth of the problem. And if I didn't understand the depth of the problem, I could never expect the general public to understand that. And so I felt like it was my turn to be able to be that advocate. You know, I think you make a very good point. And we have had on our podcast, there is a woman down in this area who is a pharmacist and she helps people come up with alternate solutions to some of the more dangerous drugs. And, you know, as a, as a pharmacist, if that's an area that you want to get into, you, you could do that. Do you know, I think so many people just say, well, whatever's being advertised on TV, I'll ask my doctor for that or whatever my doctor says. And I think that so often there are alternatives and, you're in a position to help people with that, which is very, very exciting. You're right. And it's not something that I really even knew was an op- an option or opportunity for me. I remember one of the questions that I asked when I first got into pharmacy school was, what do I do if I don't agree with a prescription? <laughs> is it is it my, do I have the ability to express that? And how do I do that? Because as a pharmacist, you are tasked with, fulfilling that prescription and educating the patient on how to properly use it and take it. It's usually the prescriber that gets the opportunity to choose that treatment for the patient, depending upon what situation you're in. If you're a clinical pharmacist in a hospital setting, you might be more involved in that treatment decision-making process. But if you're in a retail pharmacy in the community, you're filling people's prescriptions and you're tasked with teaching them what to do. And when I think about Dan Schneider, the pharmacist, who I know well, has been a guest. Well, hold on one second, Camille. I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> you, but what was the answer to that question when you asked Oh, that? sorry. The answer was I absolutely could, could call the prescriber and talk through if, if I had a concern. And in some cases, it is your responsibility as a pharmacist to indicate if you think that there's an issue and that that's part of what a pharmacist's job is. And that's highly misunderstood because it most people think of pharmacists as counting pills and just giving them to a patient. But you are another collaborator in that treatment process. And so that was something that I didn't fully understand. So yes, I didn't answer what my answer to the question was, but 
I wanted to make sure that that was not necessarily overstepping the boundary of what a pharmacist could do. And that that was something that if I got into that situation would be of interest. And what I was going to say with Dan is he's the perfect example of that. Um, When you watch his docuseries and you see the way that he as a pharmacist really got in the middle between that prescriber and his patients to try to protect his patients. That is admirable. And I think it's something that oftentimes pharmacists might not do enough. And I think that he's a great example of someone who took the initiative and his initiative goes far beyond what he just did in his pharmacy, but to keep your patients safe in all aspects uh, of your practice. And so that's something that I've learned a lot about in terms of pharmacy. And I'm only one year into my four-year program, so I have a, a long way to go in terms of learning. But the two years that I've now done in terms of this advocacy has taught me leaps and bounds more than what I ever expected to learn um, in that first year. And now I've had all this experiential learning. So it's been it's been a great way for me to understand how someone like a pharmacist or other healthcare providers could be advocates to prevent substance use disorders and to really help those who are going through recovery process. You know, I think, I think that's huge. Thank you for sharing that part. Um, you're right that Dan obviously l- looked at the prescriptions that were coming in for Oxycontin and realized that there was only one doctor, this woman who was prescribing all of this Oxycontin for all of the people in his area. And that for him was a red flag. Now, as you, as we both know, he decided to take it, you know, really it, take it on, um, you know, to ensure that something was done about this particular doctor, because it was quite obvious that she was abusing this. But I, it never occurred to me um, that a pharmacist could question something like that. And it makes total sense. We've talked over and over again on the podcast about how parents, when children are prescribed drugs, need to sort of wear that hat, if you will, to say, is this the right thing? Is this going to have long-term effects on my child? Is there perhaps a less, um, what would be the word? Not invasive, but, but is there perhaps a less, a, a lesser sort of uh, way to handle it? And, and yes. another, uh, I'm going to give you another example that you'll appreciate this same, this other pharmacist that we had on Pamela Seafeld. She was talking about how, you know, if, if someone sprains an ankle it, it might be better for them to just take um, ibuprofen to bring down the swelling rather than Oxycontin, which affects the whole nervous system of the body. And yeah. anyway, so I, di- I digress, but I, I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. You can, you can continue talking. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, on that point, honestly, it's interesting because Oxycontin especially is one of the opioids that we think of as one of the most risky in terms of potential comorbidities, kind of mortality when we think of patients and their outcomes. Um, And I think that education is number one in terms of using those types of medications. And one of the things that I've learned also in terms of being in kind of the pharmacy realm, I'm not practicing yet because I don't have a license. I'm not actually a pharmacist yet. But as I look at the things that I've been taught in my education, empowering patients with knowledge is like the number one priority of a pharmacist. And so even if you're not that pharmacist that is calling the prescriber and saying, Hey, I'm not sure if this is appropriate. You still have the opportunity to counsel that patient and inform them of the risks of the medication that they are taking. 
And so if you see some type of prescription come in that maybe you're really unsure about, or you think there's a risk for that person to get hurt by that medication, to take the extra time to talk to them about it and let them know, because oftentimes people don't know the risks of something like that. They don't know about the addiction potential. They don't know that they can become physically and psychologically dependent on this medication. And so that can be a huge game changer for them because they might make the decision themselves to, to switch to a different medication or to talk to their doctor. And of course, there's situations where those medications are appropriate, right. but that's not necessarily my decision to make, but to give that patient the opportunity to consider that and then to be able to follow up with the prescriber as well. So that's been another way that I'm able to uh, try to make a difference. And I go back to that education piece all the time, whether or not I'm with kids and I'm teaching them to stay away from substances so they don't end up facing substance use disorders in their lifetime or make decisions that they regret um, or potentially cause damage to their bodies. I go all the way from there, all the way up to talking about recovery. And so I, I have a really wonderful opportunity to make a difference in this. And it's been something that I've really learned a lot about as I've done it, but I've also recognized how much the recovery community needs advocates, especially when we think about something like stigma um, and, and how difficult it is for people to be accepted after they've gone through these types of mistakes. And so that's something that I continue to work on uh, and that I'm really, really excited and passionate about. That's awesome. That's awesome. I just wanted to tell an example. You were talking about, you know, education. And I, I remember I I've told this story before on the podcast when my younger son was about, oh, he must have been about five or six, and he had a little trouble breathing. They never called it asthma. I don't think it was ever that bad, but he could get shortness of breath. And I remember taking him in for his school physical and the the doctor said, oh, I can hear that he, you know, has a little trouble breathing. And, you know, you should put him on this medication. And, uh, to this day, I can't tell you why, but I looked at her and I said, oh, what are the side effects? And she said, oh, well, it can cause hyperactivity and it can cause him to have nightmares and something else. And I went, okay, thank you. And so yeah. I never gave it to him. And when I went back the following year and um, she said, oh, how did he do on that medication? I said, I never gave it to him. And she was so outraged with me for not giving him this medication. But my point is that as a pharmacist, you know, you could point out to a parent, you know, make sure you read the side effects or want to make sure you understand what the side effects are because a doctor is not necessarily going to go into it. And if you watch the commercials on TV, the side effects go by at lightning speed Yeah, and you know, you can't even catch them. So Anyway, I think there's a, a lot of good you can do as a pharmacist being also on the other side of, of this whole advocacy. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. 
or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Camille, tell me, tell me more about the advocacy and the group you've created and what you're doing these days. Yeah. So my kind of platform that I, I use to talk about this is called Mind Your Meds, Drug Safety and Abuse Prevention from Pediatrics to Geriatrics. And so when I mentioned kind of those medication safety things that I do, uh, do a lot of that with parents and kids, just even as simple as understanding how to give your child medication in a safe way, which is not always as obvious as it seems. Um, for example, using not using um, household measuring devices, just simple things like that that can make parents a little bit more confident giving their kids medication. But the real focus of what I'm doing is kind of what we've talked about in terms of the opioid epidemic, in terms of those who are in recovery and reducing stigma. I've had such a wonderful opportunity to be able to work with even the DEA this year, being able to collaborate with Dan. Um, I actually did all of the PSAs for the DEA's National Drug Take Back Day last year in October um, and have really recognized how much of a problem this is in our country. And of course, I knew it was an issue. That was why I chose it. But it's one thing to read statistics on the Internet, but it's another thing to hug a mom who's lost a child from a heroin overdose. Those are very different experiences. And those are experiences that I've now had and have realized how kind of the ins and outs and, and the little nuances that make recovery difficult for people. Um, not just quite literally the actual act of getting better, but some of the, you know, difficulties in getting into different treatment centers and recovery and uh, the debate between medication assisted treatment and no medication assisted treatment. There's so many different pieces that I didn't necessarily recognize. And I feel so uh, so much better informed about all of the things that other people go through, but also being able to to speak with people that go through this every single day and being able to full, not fully empathize with what they go through because I have not gone through it myself, but being able to better understand how I can be an advocate for those people. I think, I, I think that's huge. I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. You you have celebrity, if you will, as Miss America 2020. And there's a lot of ways you can go with it. You can go around the country cutting ribbons and kissing babies, if you will. But instead, yeah. you've delved into an area that, based on what we know, once you get into it, it you cannot you cannot turn a blind eye. And you the yeah. more you learn, the more responsibility you you kind of have to take because it's it just affects so many people. And when we have a mom or a dad on who's lost a child, it's just, it's heartbreaking, you know? It and is. so you're, you're learning some of that. So that's, I, I, I just really appreciate everything you're doing. And thank you. It's really interesting because kind of on the point of, you know, Miss America and how that's affected my advocacy, 
there is kind of a perception that Miss America is the woman that comes in, is in parades and does the ribbon cuttings. And that's really what Miss America did for a long time. Yep. But one of the reasons I decided to participate in the organization is that they've shifted from kind of that external beauty standard and kind of thinking of that beauty queen persona to an organization that's focused on social impact across the country. And so every Miss America gets to choose her own social platform that she'll spend her entire entire year dedicated to. And uh, that's been the really great piece of being a part of this is that it it not only gave me the platform, but it it almost forced me into a place where I had to decide what I wanted to be an advocate for. And I'm not sure that as a pharmacy student sitting in a classroom, I would have thought or had, you know, the mindset of how can I advocate in our communities unless I had been pushed to create something like that. And I'm glad that I had the opportunity to work on this because it's taught me more than I could have ever imagined. It's made me a better pharmacy student and I would encourage a lot of young professionals, especially in healthcare fields, to take that step back from their work and see what they can do to give back to their own communities in one way or another. And whether or not it's in the recovery space or if it's something else, it's been such a beneficial opportunity to me. And so Miss America has afforded that to me, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you get through Miss America, especially if you're a man listening to this. <laughs> um, but it's something that we can all learn from and something that we can all do. But exactly. But it's given you a platform and it has, and it, and what you're doing is so unbelievably valuable because you know, one of the reasons why we started this podcast and one of the things we wanted to do was to point out that a drug addict today is no longer a dirty homeless guy under a bridge. It's yes. the rather clean cut looking young teenager that lives down your street who is raiding medicine cabinets and taking dangerous prescription drugs. And, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of people out there that do not understand how pervasive this problem is. And so maybe someone would be more than willing to listen to Miss America. Yeah. But not, you know, listen to our addiction podcast, for example. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's giving you a platform, which I think is 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 great that you're using yes. it for this purpose. There's so much of a misunderstanding, too, as I go out and talk about this to people who really lack a lot of empathy for those who go through this. Yep. And that's been one of the most eye-opening things because you're absolutely right when you when you say that, you know, the the persona of what addiction looks like has changed in our country from what maybe it used to be, or maybe it's always kind of been there and we've never really recognized that. But addiction really is one of those things that comes through every socioeconomic class, every race, every gender. It does not discriminate. And for me to be able to come out and, and speak about this and hear the reactions sometimes that are so insensitive in the way that people view those who go through addiction or substance use makes it only more that much more important to talk about it. Um, especially when I think about something like I talk about Narcan oftentimes, and people are very confused at the concept of Narcan because why would we help someone who has put themselves in a situation of overdose? And it's very interesting to me to have to explain that. Um, and I often relate it to something like being CPR certified, that if someone had a heart attack, uh, that you would probably give them CPR because you're a good human. 
And if we think about, you know, if someone was potentially diabetic, right? And that person chose to eat a dozen donuts for breakfast. You would help them. You would give them their insulin. You wouldn't judge them because they decided to eat a dozen donuts, even though they know that they are diabetic. And I I use those kind of analogies because diabetes doesn't have the stigma that substance use disorder does. And so it's kind of the same thing when we think about chronic disease and things that have to be managed and don't just necessarily go away in a day and have to be treated. And it's really unfortunate that people don't fully understand. And I think that I keep saying the word understand because I think that understanding can get people to a place where they can have more empathy to people who are struggling. And that's one of the ways that we can continue to break stigma in this country is by giving people the knowledge about other people's experiences that they maybe don't fully understand. Yep, I agree with you. And you know, the other thing that I thought of while you were talking is that people don't, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people like a parent, for example, has a child who's addicted and or a spouse or what have you. And the, and the thought is, why don't they just stop? Um, I can have a glass of wine and I don't have to get drunk. How come he or she does? And I, it's just not understanding what addiction is and that it affects not only you know, mentally and spiritually, but physically people get addicted to these substances. And, you know, I've said that before on the podcast as well, that, you know, the thing is when you, when you abuse drugs or sometimes even when you just take certain prescription drugs, certain psychiatric drugs, you're playing Russian roulette and you don't know how it's going to affect you. I might be able to take Oxycontin and go, I don't like the way it feels. I'm not going to take it anymore, mm-hmm. but you take it and boom, you're off and running and, you know, looking for heroin because Oxycontin is too expensive. Yeah. So it's, it's another thing. It's another aspect to the whole, this whole pandemic that, you know, you're helping to shed the light on and helping to educate people, which I think is huge. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think even just mentioning the pandemic, it's worsened in such a significant way. And I get frustrated because we hear oftentimes, you know, COVID, that's all I hear on the TV. But I think the data is almost showing that it's almost 220 people that lose their life every day to an opioid overdose right now versus what used to be about 130. I think that was like 2017 data from the CDC. That's a lot. And that happens every day. And that didn't just start in March of 2020. And so it frustrates me in some ways that, again, I think this all comes back to stigma because it's things that are socially acceptable versus not. But the fact that it's completely overlooked in our country and not really given any media coverage is something that I wish that we would change and that something I continue to talk about uh, on, on podcasts, on media, to, to remind people that this doesn't go, this didn't just start and it's not going to go away. It's getting worse. And when you think about 220, 220 people every single day that, you know, don't go home to their family or a child that doesn't come home. And it's something that's really preventable. You can catch COVID, right? You can go and you can wear your mask and you can still get COVID. Not necessarily preventable. We can treat it, right? But we can like really prevent overdoses if we do the right things and get people into healthy spaces Uh, or prevent it from ever starting altogether. And that's why I I think I'm really passionate about this because I just think it's 
unfortunate that 200 people lose their life to something that could be prevented. And especially even if we just think of something as simple as if those people were given Narcan, when we're thinking about just opioid overdoses, if all 220 of those people were treated with the proper dose of Narcan, their lives could have continued on for the next day. So those things, it just seems like such an easy thing to be able to do, but it's such a difficult journey to get there. And I think that's why I continue doing this um, and something that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I, I I definitely understand. And I, I just cannot thank you enough for doing everything that you're doing. And you're absolutely right. I've said it many times on the podcast, this pandemic was here before COVID. It's going to be here after COVID and it's not getting the kind of coverage except for the... Yes. MSNBC special that talked about it, the forgotten yeah. pandemic, which was good, but it, it, you're right. It just doesn't get the same kind of media coverage and attention. And I think a lot of that is what you're doing is educating people and what we're doing, educating people. And it's, it's huge. So when you graduate, you have two more years of pharmacy school. Are you going to just work for a retail pharmacy or are you going to maybe use that knowledge to do something bigger? Well, I don't really ever do anything the normal way. Uh, and that's kind of true in my Miss America experience, being the first Miss America to ever win with science as my talent. And that's a whole other story. But again, I, I don't that. really do. I don't do anything normally. Um, <laughs> I actually have three more years left. And oh. what I'm hoping to do is actually work for a manufacturer and work in the pharmaceutical industry not necessarily in the development of new medications, but more in the business side. And that comes from my experience. I'd interned for a company for two years when I was in undergrad and kind of realized that there was a need for people with business experience, but also a science background, especially those with PharmDs that could really help benefit the company. That was very much before I've had any of this experience. So that's always what I've said I wanted to do, but uh, I would still like to work in more of a non-traditional pharmacy space that I can apply the scientific knowledge of understanding how drugs work, but then add on all of these experiential learning pieces that I've had and whether or not that's working in some place to prevent substance use disorders, whether or not that's within a company to allow them to continue to act really ethically, because that's honestly, especially in this place, pharmaceutical companies get a really bad reputation because of the way that a few pharmaceutical companies have acted, especially namely Purdue Pharma, which we know right. of because of the Oxycontin. But not all pharmaceutical companies are bad. And without them, we wouldn't have a lot of the medications that we need and even something like a COVID vaccine. So there is so much benefit there. But sometimes it can be overshadowed, just like anything by those particular negative experiences or, you know, those stories that people have heard. And so I think that having someone that could have a science background and also kind of understand, um, especially substance use disorders, that could be really beneficial. And so I'm hoping to be able to apply those in some way. So uh, if anyone's hiring, let me know in 2024. <laughs> You're awesome. Camille, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and everything that you're doing. Um, I just, I think it's just so valuable. Absolutely. And thank you for dedicating your entire podcast <laughs> to uh, allowing people to learn more about addiction and recovery and for everything that you've done uh, in this space as well. 
we thought you would enjoy that interview, kind of a different take on it. She's obviously a beautiful young woman. She's Miss America 2020. And so you might wonder, why would you hear from her? Well, now you know, because she is an advocate. She is training to be a pharmacist. And I think that based on everything she's doing with the whole pandemic, she's going to be what I would call a value-added pharmacist. So stay tuned and make sure if you've subscribed to us on YouTube that you ring that bell so you get notified. We put a podcast up every single Thursday at 6 p.m. So check in then and you can watch our latest episode and we'll be back again next week. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.